0: It's not God's ideal that you go through hell on earth so you can enjoy heaven later on. God wants you altogether whole. That means every, no part of your life broken. That means financially whole, relationally whole, emotionally whole, everything restored. And for many of us that's just not the case. We Go through our whole lives carrying wounded hearts from some trauma or tragedy that happened decades before. And the thing about this is you got to understand is that a wounded soul will not keep you out of heaven. No, not by any means, and I'm not even going to start my clock, y'all. <clears throat> a wounded soul will not keep you out of heaven. It'll just make life less pleasurable than what God would have wanted it. And... Um, So we're going to talk about soul construction, and one of the things, I've got several construction projects in the natural going on right now, and one of the things that I've discovered about construction projects is you may have an overall project, but there's a lot of sub-projects that got to take place, right? And so the overall project that the Spirit of Grace wants in our lives is for us to be completely whole, Uh, but there's a lot of sub-projects that got to go on, and that's how we're going to deal with this. So project number one in our soul construction is judge not. I want to talk about judgmentalism today because being judgmental is something that we all tend with. And I know not you. You're the only one that has never judged anyone harshly in your whole life. I can't say that about me. I used to be not a good one, but I was a professional judge. I just really stank at it. Because everyone that I deemed to be holy turned out to be a moron, and everyone I turned, thought was a moron turned out to be a devoted saint of God. And one day it just dawned on me, you know, if, if I played baseball with this poor of an average, they'd fire me. And uh, so I divorced myself from the bench, and oh, happy day. Now, I got rem- to say this, that is something we got to work with constantly, to keep from judging one another. And... Uh, <clears throat> So we're going to look at what the master said about judging, and we all know it, judge not and you'll not be judged. But I want to say something just as a a preface of going into this. When when the master said, judge not, I want you to understand, and look at me because this is one of those Selah moments. That was a prohibition against you judging others, not against them judging you. I'm, I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Because, see, we all, if there's, somebody might not know a single verse in the Bible, but they do know this, don't judge me. (laughs) You call them on something and they'll immediately say, well, you know, the Bible says not to judge. So I want to say it again. Jesus was putting a prohibition on you judging others, but that does not apply to others judging you. Why? (laughs) Because we ain't in control of other people. Have you discovered that yet? We barely manage to control ourselves and we're busy trying to control others. I've got no control over what you think about me. None. And so I can't control what you think about me, but I can control what I think about you. So what Jesus was saying was you don't judge and it'll be as if you're not ever judged because you'll be living on a higher plane. When you refuse to enter into being judgmental, then when other people judge you, it's as if they never judged you because you don't even, you're playing a different game. Does that make sense? So I needed to say that because we need to understand that what God is dealing with is our soul, not their soul. What other people do is between them and God. What you do is between you and God. So don't worry about what they say about you. You just don't say it about them. So let's put up on the screen, if you would, Luke chapter 6, verse 37, and this is where we, where we will get started. Oh, and by the way, I, gotta tell, I missed you all last week. Man, I would like being at RLC on Sunday, but there was no way I could get here. But I do know Sharita tore it up. In fact, I was kind of insecure in my job coming back because someone someone said, I don't know who that lady is, but she's hot. (laughs) know you don't need to be that enthusiastic. She was somewhat okay. Would have worked. I appreciate you, Sharita. I love Holy Ghost people. All right. Luke chapter six, verse thirty seven. Reading it to you out of the Amplified judge not neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting to censor and you will not be judged do not condemn and pronounce guilty and you will not be condemned and pronounced guilty acquit and forgive and release give up resentment let it drop and you will be acquitted forgiven and released. Now, I want to say this, that every instruction of God, every commandment, every instruction, every prohibition is for your wholeness. You all have heard me say that before. God never prohibits an activity in order to rob you of joy. It's in his presence that there is fullness of joy. When God prohibits an activity, the guardrails that he's putting in your life are not to keep you from having fun, they're to keep you from killing yourself. So the guardrails, whether it's an instruction, a commandment, or a prohibition, are so that you, listen, sometimes when you're driving along a mountain pass and you see a guardrail, that's not to rob you of joy from going off-road, that's to stop you from going over a thousand-foot cliff. And you might think, boy, I really want to go off road right here. But people that know better have said, don't do it, not here. And that's what the Lord is always doing. He's always trying to direct us to a destiny of fulfillment so we can be everything he ordained for us to be. And we can be complete and whole people. So I need to say this. When God says judge not, the intent is to keep you whole. Because there's something about being judgmental that strips you of your destiny and robs you of joy in life. Judging others as less than makes you less than. I want to say that again. Judging others as less than makes you less than. And so that's the reason. Now, I want to say this as well. I'm just trying to that the Bible does not prohibit judgment. We're not supposed to go through life. I can't judge this. I can't. No, no, you can judge. But hear me when I say this, you need to judge as Christ would, which means graciously, mercifully and righteous. Most of the judgment that we receive and we meet out in life is not righteous judgment, it's unrighteous judgment. And it comes from judges who James would say later on, we'll get to it in a minute, James would say these are judges with evil thoughts or evil motives. But we're supposed to judge, we're supposed to judge righteously. And I'm going to show you in Galatians, we can't judge righteously if A, we're not walking in the Spirit and B, not walking in love. One time I asked Pastor Dave Roberson, who's now in heaven, I said, I need you to explain something to me. I said, I don't understand this. I don't understand why in, in, in the book of Acts there was a person, two people named Ananias and Sapphira. And they came and they lied about an offering. That's all they did. They lied about an offering. It was their offering. They could have said, we decided to keep it all and they would have been totally well. But they lied about an offering, and judgment came, and they fell dead. And I asked my pastor, I said, why is it that they, something as seemingly insignificant as lying about an offering would drop dead, and we got people doing all kinds of things in church, and they don't even go on, they're staying undercover. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And this is what Pastor Dave told me. He said, too few of God's people know how to judge righteously. They judge unrighteously and unrighteous judgment will never result in the judgment of God. Or let me rephrase that unrighteous judgment will never result in the justice of God. The only way to bring about the justice of God is when the people of God learn how to judge righteously. And that's in love and in the spirit. So every instruction is for your wholeness. Now, to judge, in the the Greek, listen, it means this. It's it's the Greek word chrono. And it means to judge in one's mind. That's important. To judge in one's mind as to what is right, proper, or expedient. To deem, decide, and then determine. In other words, the judgmental person is both judge and jury. Jury. They deem, they decide, and they determine someone's value. And they always seem to determine that value as less than. Now, less than what? Is this okay this morning? We're talking about a whole soul. This ain't going to be shouting ground. I'm not expecting a lot of back and forth. Because when you're dealing with soul issues, people like to be quiet. I understand that. So for the next eight weeks, it's probably going to be a quiet place. But at the end of it, we'll have a whole soul. Then we can shout, because we're in victory. We've gained victory over old wounds. Amen? So it means to... um, In your mind, it means that judgmentalism is a disease of the mind. And like any disease... It's more detrimental to the one infected than the ones around them. You following me? So, in other words, this is what it means judgmentalism impacts you more than the people you judge. And when we deem them as less than, usually what we're deeming them as less than is less than us. True story. There was a pastor many years ago, he's since retired. Uh, in South Johannesburg, South Africa, and back when South Africa practiced as a, a, as a regulation, it was law, apartheid. This one pastor had the only gathering place in the entire nation that wasn't segregated. The only place in the entire nation that was integrated was a church. And when a Man got out of prison and became president. His name was Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, President Mandela, called for the pastor of this church because Nelson came out of prison not seeking revenge, but healing for his land. And so in order to get healing, he had to find, is this working anywhere? Is there anywhere in my nation where the races come together and put a set aside the division and come together? And there was one place. So the president called for the pastor and the president sent his motorcade to the pastor's office. And so when, when they arrived, I mean, there was the presidential limo with the presidential flag. He had the, the, the entire entourage. Are y'all listening? Yes, sir. And the pastor put on his best suit. He got into the presidential limo. I'm sure he I rubbed on it because you know that had to be good leather, not pleather. This was good stuff. And he, was, and he said, and he, he shared the story. He said he was really thinking, I've arrived. I'm going to the presidential palace. I'm going to instruct the president. And so as they're weaving their way through Johannesburg, he said he caught sight of a drunk in the gutter. And he had this thought. He said it just flashed over him. He had a mental thought. And the thought was, what a waste of flesh. And he said just like that, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And said, would you like to know the difference between you and him? And the the, the pastor said, yes, sir. I would like to know. Is it my anointing? Is it my charisma? Is it this fine suit? The Lord spoke to him and said, the only difference between you and him is me. See, the pastor had judged that one as less than him. And the Lord interrupted him and said, listen, the only difference between you who think you got it all together and those who know they don't got it all together is me. See, we, you and I, we are never supposed to. We're not supposed to know each other according to the flesh anymore. We're not supposed to assign value based on net worth. We're supposed to assign value to one another because each and every one of us, no matter what our shape, our size, our skin color, our history, where we come from, our accent, our language, our tribe, our tongue, we're made in the image of Almighty God and we have equal value before the King of Kings. If you look in a dictionary, the pre-1920 dictionary, it actually treats the word judgmental as a compound word. Judge and mental. And it means to, it it, it absolutely is in harmony with the, the Greek definition. It means you judge in your mind by what you see, what you hear, what you think you know. So again, judgmentalism, if it's a disease of the mind, that means, listen to this, we can train ourselves to not be judgmental. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8, I'm reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. And I want you to notice certain words in here. So keep your thoughts continually fixed. Do you see that? Keep your thoughts. This means, listen, you can do it. You can train your mind to think on certain things and discard other things. Brother Hagen used to say that thoughts are like birds. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can certainly keep it from making a nest in your hair. I've discovered that thoughts are kind of like Internet ads. Y'all ever clicked an Internet ad? Only discover everywhere you go online, there's an ad about that same thing? Hmm? When I first got the I got another truck back in in, in April and I thought I'd like to kind of modify it a little bit. You know, it's big black truck. I want to. And so I clicked a couple things that modifications of a Toyota Chandra, Pretty soon they were everywhere. Everywhere I went, there are modif- a the reason I'm saying that is this. The, the more attention you give to thoughts, the more of them you see, the more of them you feel, the more of them you think. If you want those thoughts to go away, don't pay attention to them. Discard them immediately. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I cannot get rid of lustful thoughts. Yes, you can. Yes. Yes, sir. Husbands, you want to know how to get rid of lustful thoughts? Admit it to your wife when you have them. That'll help you. But you can also just say, no, I don't think that way. And the less attention you give to it, the less of them you'll have. Is this okay this morning? I'm trying to help us. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Do you see that? You can train your thoughts. And if, 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 if judge, being judgmental is a habit, a disease of the mind, we can change it. We can stop. And I'm telling you, the day that you quit judging others, the angels will sing, oh, happy day. And so will you because, listen, being the world's judge is a burden. It's hard to keep the whole world in line. It's hard to look at every person's dress and judge them and their hairdo and judge them and their doctrine and judge them. It's better just to stop. So, for a few moments, I want to talk about how judging hurts you. Because judging hurts you more than it does anyone else. I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. How we judge others says far more about us and how we are than how we are judged by others. I want to say that how we judge others says far more about us than how we are judged. When you are constantly judging, listen to this, you are molding yourself into a negative person. You're becoming a professional fault finder. And here's what you need to know about someone who's always hunting for faults. They never find favor. They never do because you're constantly looking for flaws and faults. That's all you'll ever find. And so you're molding yourself into someone who refuses, can't be happy about nothing. Would you look at that sunset? Isn't that glorious? I've seen better. Man, would you, that wasn't the worship team awesome this morning? I've heard better. Man, that was an amazing sermon. I've heard better. You can't find good in nothing because you've molded yourself into being a professional judge. And that's no way to go through life. You can't go through life being a fault finder with everybody. A pastor was a a visitor came to a church and he asked for permission to meet the pastor. And when they met, the visitor said, Pastor, I I love the worship. The word was amazing. I just got to go. What about the congregation? What kind of people make up this church? And the pastor said, well, what kind of people made up the church you came from? And he said, oh, man, I got to tell you, they were a bunch of hypocrites. Nobody loved nobody. Everyone gossiped and backbite. I don't don't even think they love Jesus. And the pastor said, well, I really don't think this is the church for you because, sad to say, this church is made up of gossipers, backbiters, and no matter what I try to do, I can't get this group to love Jesus. And the visitor said, well, you know, I was really thinking about coming here, but I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> A few weeks later, another visitor came and repeated and said, um, <clears throat> Pastor, I, I really liked the worship and the word was amazing. And, but what's the church like? What are the people like? And the pastor asked the same question. Well, what would the people like where you come from? And he said, oh, I tell you, pastor, that they were an amazing family. You walked in, you got five hugs, everyone really cared, they loved each other, they protected one another, and man, they were passionate about the things of God. And the pastor said, well, I think this is the church for you, because guess what? This bunch loves Jesus, and they love people, and they just look over each other's faults, and what am I telling you? People are people. No matter where you go, what you see is what you look for. And if you're constantly looking for flaws, that's all you're going to ever find because people are people. And a judgmental person never finds favor because they're always looking for the flaws. Ah, this is good. Judgmental people condition their mind to only find flaws. Can I tell a little story about myself? I don't got to just tell stories about others because I got a bunch. Because my wife can tell you there was a time I thought I was the world's best judge. And I meant, what do you mean yes? (laughs) I heard a yes from the front row. (laughs) When we went to Bible school, I thought I knew more than Kenneth Hagin. Okay, you don't have to say yes every time. And I judged everyone. I mean, no one prayed as sincerely as me. No one knew the word like me. I was a walking incarnation of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> in fact, when I walked, my feet actually never touched the ground <laughs> in my mind. And everyone around me never measured up. And there was this one lady, she, she, she vexed me, man. She irritated me because she always had a smile on her face. And she would come to school wearing Mickey Mouse ears. (sighs) Don't you know spirituality is serious business? There are people dying and going to hell. We gotta be serious about this. And and every time I saw her, I I would like, God, this woman doesn't even know you. And I would judge her. And you know what the Lord did? He made sure she sat next to me in every class. Every class I went to, there she was with her Mickey Mouse ears. And I thought for sure God had sent me into her life to straighten her out. And I tried. And she would just look at me with that stupid smile. And as I got to know her, I discovered this woman was so godly and so precious and had such an intimate relationship with God that now she vexed me for a whole new reason. Because she was what I needed to become. And that was my first step to realizing I'm a horrible judge. Because the people I deemed to be something, they were the first to stab you in the back. And the people I deemed to be nothing, they were the ones who would stand with you through thick and thin. See, you and I are not qualified to be judges because we don't know the whole story. We never do. We just don't. Lester Sumrall, how many of you ever heard of, is this okay this morning? How many of you ever heard of a guy named Lester Sumrall? Changed the world. But there was a time when Lester Sumrall was a pastor of a small country church in a small country town with one post office and one post office worker. And every day when Lester went to go get his mail, he came back almost cussing. Because this this postal worker was always messing up his mail. He was never hospitable, never polite. And Lester just did not like the guy. And he would come back and he would complain to his wife, this guy stinks, he's horrible, he ought to get fired. I'm going to write somebody. I'm going to fire this man. And one day the wife thought, well, Lester, let's find out why he's like this. And so she went and brought the man lunch and picked up the mail. And when she brought the man lunch, the man began to bawl like a baby. He just began to cry. And she said, what is going on? He said, six months ago, my wife died. And he said, I don't know how to do nothing. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to clean my clothes. I always worked, and she took care of the children and of the house. I'm completely lost. There's a backstory. You see, we is this okay? We live in a world of snapshots. We do it as a culture. We see a five-second video and we think we know the whole story. We know what happened before. We know what came after. We know everything because we see a snapshot. So we make snap judgments based on snap shots. And it's bad enough when we do it in a culture, we bring it into the church. And we don't know anyone's backstory. We don't know the battle that we're fighting with. They don't know. We don't know that it took everything they could to get them and their five kids to church that morning. So she doesn't come in dressed like you think she ought to. She's here. And we look at each other and we judge one another and we don't know the battles. Everybody's going through something. What we need, listen, if you knew what they were going through, rather than a boatload of judgment, you'd give them a huge hug. What the church needs is a lot more compassion and a lot less condemnation. And we're freeing not only the people we're judging, we're freeing ourselves. Because the first step into having a healthy soul is learning to quit judging. Is this okay? Go with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1, and I'm going to read all the way through to verse 5. Do not judge, the master says, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, ancient Jewish wisdom, I love reading the rabbi. Some of you have heard me say that before. And in and ancient Jewish wisdom, that's what Rabbi Daniel Lapin calls it. They taught that God made life to be a mirror of the soul. Meaning that whatever you were on the outside is what you see all the way around you. And boy, if this ain't true. If you're a happy person, you see happiness everywhere. If you're a bitter person, you see bitterness everywhere. If you're a con man, everyone's a con. If you're good, everyone is good. Life tends to reflect what is in your soul. And that's what Jesus the Master is teaching here. If you judge everyone, you always feel like you're getting judged by everyone. And so when you quit judging, it'll be as if even if they do continue to judge you, it'll be as if you don't even recognize it. Why? Because you you choose to see virtues and not flaws. And the love that you project becomes the love that protects you. Oh, I want to write that one down. The love you project is the love that protects you. We never know the whole backstory. I remember one time, I went to a minister's conference. And I had just, as Steve and my wife know this, that I had gone through an ordeal where I've got a virus in my inner ear. And I was riding my Harley one day and it felt like a bee it stung me in the ear. Three days later, I was in the hospital. And I knew it was bad when the nurse stuck that thing in your ear. Because I have a high tolerance for pain. <clears throat> and she stuck this thing in my ear, and I know it's not good when she goes, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. And I'm like, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. And she said, you got to go to the hospital. I had both a viral and a bacterial infection in my inner ear at the same time. And the, the virus got so bad, it killed this nerve that runs down your jawline, You know, there's a, you got two nerves that come down your face, and they, so this side of my face for almost a year looked like I'd had a massive stroke. People thought I'd had a stroke. And then when the nerves kicked back on, I went from looking like putty face to the Joker. Because then my face went, and I had a like permanent smile on this side. And uh, the one thing it stole from me was my smile. And it's still not 100% back. But I want you to understand there was a time I was known for my smile. Really, I was. The joy of the Lord had become such a reality to me. I never stopped smiling. One time I flew into a foreign... Is this okay? I flew into a foreign country. I'd never been there before, and I was going to go there to preach. And a person came up to me and said, Brother Miller, this way. And I was like, how do you know it was me? And he said, oh, my pastor said, just look for the only person getting off an international flight with a smile. (laughs) And I thought, Cool. I would love to be known as a happy person because I was sour for years. And so, uh, you know, just that meant a lot to me. And then when this virus st- struck, I couldn't smile anymore. And so I went to this minister's conference and a pastor's wife decided she needed to berate me. And she pulled me off to the side and just tore into me for not smiling. That I had no joy that I I shouldn't be at a minister's conference if I can't even smile, and da-da-da, and she just read me the riot act. And when she was done, I said, is it okay if I share a little something with you? And I began to tell her how the virus stole my smile, and I did not choose to have a stoic look by choice. My nerves weren't working right. And she said, well, then just learn to believe God and walked away. Her judgmental attitude said much more about her than it did about me. When we judge each other without knowing the backstory, Snapshot. What it reveals is that the love of God is absent from us. Is this okay? So let's keep reading. Verse 3, Matthew 7. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. And then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. Again, Jesus is not telling others not to judge us. He's telling us not to judge others. What others do is not our primary concern. What we do is our primary concern. Our biggest problem, please hear me when I say this, our biggest problem is not how others judge us. My life was not made less by her stripping me down for not smiling. Hers was. Not mine. Let us learn not to judge others. Now listen to this. Jesus takes judgment very seriously. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he is the righteous judge. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he is full of grace and truth. He does not judge by appearances, but judges with right judgment. That's John chapter 7, verse 24. Every judgment he announces or pronounces issues from a loving core. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And that's how he wants us to judge. I told you to would be quiet. <clears throat> I want to share another story. I just feel that there's so many of these stories. I need to T.L. Osborne once had a woman from a foreign country, some middle uh, uh, I think it was an uh, Eastern European country come and spend some time with him in Tulsa. And this woman, her whole life had been degraded. Her own parents told her she was unloved. Constantly ridiculed her, told her she was dumb, told her she was unwanted, that she was a mistake. And research has shown, listen to me, research has shown that harsh words stay with us longer than loving words. That criticisms are remembered long after compliments are forgotten. And we need to understand that when we're the one dishing those things out, that we are wounding another soul. Gotta stop it. So this woman came to stay with T.L. and Daisy Osborne, two of the most loving, love-saturated, miracle-working couples in the history of humanity. And no matter what no T.L. and his, Daisy, his wife, tried to do, it was like water off a duck's back. The woman had been so wounded that she didn't believe any compliment that came her way. And one day when T.L. was out walking and he was praying, he, he came across the coin. And if you would, Sister Fowler, put that slide up there, please. He came across the coin a penny that was on the ground, and it had been beat up. It had been, it had been scratched across the road. It just looked ragged. You could barely tell it was a penny. And he bent down and picked it up, and the Lord asked him a question. What is the value of that coin? What's the value of the coin? Forget the scars, the wounds, how it's been tarnished and neglected and thrown away. What's the value of the coin?" And Dr. Osborne said, well, I think the same as any other coin. And the Lord said, the value of the coin that's been tattered is the exact same value as a coin that's been untarnished. And that's what he needed in order to reach this girl. He said, this is you. You've been discarded. You've been thrown away. You've been beat up. There's been wounds inflicted. But your value is left untouched. Your value is just... Now listen, I'm talking to some of you in here. You've been discarded. You've been beat up. You, there have been wo- words used against you that would have been easier if they had beat you with their fist. The things they said to you should have never been said, but they were. And each word was a wound. And we go through life thinking that our value is less. Because we have scars. What I want to say to you is this. The value of the coin is exactly the same. So remember that when you see someone who's been beat up and they've been tattered and maybe they don't measure up to our level of prettiness but their value is just the same. You following what I'm saying? So we are to treat each other according to the coin that's untarnished not to the coin. No one... She deserves to get thrown away. No, sir. Mm. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, and I'm bringing this to a close. 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, Amplified Version says this, Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Listen to this. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. <clears throat> Listen to this. Galatians, we don't have a, ver- a slide for this, but Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault may the one who overflows with the spirit seek to restore him win him over with gentle words which will open his heart to you and will keep him from exalt and will keep you from exalting yourself over him love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's burdens and troubles if you think you're too important to stoop down to help another you're living in deception See, what empowers us to restore the one that we see faults in is love. Not a judgmental attitude of telling them they don't pray enough, they don't do this enough, they don't dress right. Love sees, uncondi- is this okay? Yes. Unconditional love sees virtue, not faults. Yes. I want to say it again unconditional love sees virtue, yes. Yes. overlooks faults, overlooks flaws. That's how God sees us. And we are to see one another the same way. But pastor, you don't know what they've done. I'm going to tell you, you don't know what they've been through. Even if you know their actions, you don't know what it did to their soul. Only God does. James chapter 2 speaks of the possibility of us becoming judges with evil thoughts. You got a little more time? James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, out of the Passion. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in Him and yet we favor one group of people above another? Suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings and expensive clothing, and also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the rich man in expensive clothes and say, here's a seat of honor for you right up front, but you turn, over to, you turn and say to the poor beggar dressed in rags, you can stand over here or sit over there or on the floor or in the back, then you've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of what? Judgment. Judgment. Remember what I told you, when we judge, to judge means that we deem one, whether it's a group or an individual, as lesser than. Yes. Well, this group is less than that group. And the master would cry out from heaven, make it stop. Yes. Stop all of that. I remember a story about the, the chafe and the wheat. And he said, let them all grow together. Because if you busy yourself pulling out the chafe, you're going to pull out the weed as well. Why? Because you don't know how to tell the difference. So the one you think is a weed and needs to get get pulled out of your congregation, God says that's not a weed, that's wheat. And I'm going to use the anointing on that one to feed thousands if you leave them alone and let them be and love them. When there needs to be a separation, He'll do the separation. When there needs to be a judgment, He'll be the judge. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Our job is to love one another. Yes, sir. When we deem the value of one is greater than the value of the other, based on what we see, James said we are judges with evil standards. Imagine a wall of windows Overlooking an amazing flower garden. If the glass is clean, you don't even notice the windows. All you see is the beauty of the garden. Right? If the glass is clean. Now understand, when I'm talking about glass, I'm talking about your soul. If you're a happy person, if you're clean, this is all you see. You see beauty. But now imagine looking through that glass. And it's tarnished, and it's dirty, and it's smudged. You can't see the beauty because all you see are the flaws. You see the stains. There's beauty beyond, but you don't see that because we're focusing on the flaws. Now, my question is, go back to the next one, Sister Fowler. Would you rather see that, or would you rather see the other? Would you rather see the former, or would you rather see the dirt? You know how to clean it up and see beauty? Clean yourself. Take the beam out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly how to help your brother. Love, and I'm closing with this, love means paying more attention to virtue than it does flaws. Why are we so quick to judge one another? There's two main reasons and they're opposite sides of the same coin. Insecurity and arrogance. We judge one another because we're arrogant and we're insecure. We've got to be the best. And the only way to make ourselves the best is to make everyone else less. We're insecure. And so I've got to project my insecurity. And if I can find flaws in you, then we don't have to deal with the flaws in me. But I think if we give so much time, you can stand to your feet, we're about to close. If we give so much time to the improvement of ourselves that we have no time to criticize others, life for everyone will become better. And when a church is filled with people who look for virtue in their fellow human beings instead of flaws, then that church becomes a safe place. That church becomes a safe place. For the wounded. For that one who resembles the coin and they've been all tattered and beaten up. See, every other church they've gone to, people have pointed out their scars. You got tattoos, you can't come here. You smell like smoke, you can't be here. Someone saw you out at the club last night. Don't come here. And so the wounded go through life never being healed, never knowing what it is to have love restore but when there's a group of people who just will say Lord you said not to so I won't I'm not going to judge anyone else and I'm going to train myself to see virtue I'm going to train myself to see your image in everyone then that group of people become a safe place. God will send the wounded from the north, the south, the east, and the west. He'll send sheep who are lame from the furthest reaches of our region because He wants them well. But what we need to do is open our arms instead of closing our fist. We're going to protect what's ours. No, we need to say, you're welcome. We love you. And take on the characteristics of the prodigal father. The prodigal's father. Who ran out and hugged the son. Who felt like, smelt like pig. And through the filth, he kissed him. Everyone put your hands up. And we're going to take just a moment a moment of repentance. And we're going to say this together. Father, I ask You for the sake of the living Christ. Forgive me for being judgmental. Repent. I lay down that judgmental attitude. And by Your grace, I choose to see everyone through the eyes of love. I will resist being judgmental as I resist the common cold. I see it as a disease. And Your grace gives me immunity. So I declare, I'm a loving one, not a judgmental one. I'm a gracious one, not a condemning one. I am filled with the love of God. And the love of God Helps me to see you for the beauty you are. In the strong name of the Son of God. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.